Welcome to episode number 73 of Storytelling with Seth. I'm your host, Seth Singleton. And for this episode, I sit down with Ahmed Alamin, the creator of the Epics of Enkidu, a sequel to the Epics of Gilgamesh, and a story that could be creating a universe of future stories. Join me now for a great conversation. Hello and thank you for tuning in. This is yet another episode of Storytelling with Seth. And I am not even going to dilly-dally with a long or heavy-handed intro. I'm simply going to say that I am here today with Ahmed Alamin. And he has not only an amazing story to tell, but one he's in the process of telling. And we actually happened to catch him at a great moment in time regarding those stories. Let me stop before I get ahead of myself and say hello to Ahmed and let him say hello to you. Ahmed, how are you today, sir? Oh, hello. I'm, uh, I'm doing well. I'm actually <laughs> kind of relaxed, you know. I finally reached my Indiegogo goals. So, yeah. that's, that's a great thing to talk about. I, I woke up this morning checking my email and saw that you had reached your goal. And all I could think to myself was how fortuitous. That's the first thing we're going to be talking about today. When did you find out that you had reached your Indiegogo goal? Uh, well, around three hours ago, I think. Uh, and, and actually, I was uh, drawing a, a new poster for one of the characters. And while I was uh, coloring, actually, I, I received the message, a new contributor. I immediately just opened my Indiegogo page, and there it was, the 101% uh, funded. And, and yeah, first thing I, I did, I just told my wife, and she was so happy. And we made like a deal, you know, like a list of things that I would do if we win and a list of things she does. So, so the first thing she said, oh, I'm not going to cook for a month. And she, she's very happy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> wow. You know, uh, as the cook of my household, I would probably make that deal too. I'd be like, you know what? I'm not cooking for a month. That's that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, but she's going to clean the dishes and I'm, and I'm going to make a big mess, you know? So, so that's not a win for her. <laughs> Oh, no. Well, I didn't know about that part. You mean she's not cooking and you are, but she's still doing cleanup. And sometimes yeah. it sounds yeah. like a bit of an artist in the kitchen. We... <laughs> <laughs> she is, actually. But I'm, 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 you know, I'm still an apprentice. Actually, we did like a, a list, 10, 10 things I will do and 10 things you will do. We did, we did that and we posted on YouTube. Uh, maybe you can link to that and you'll see. One of them is I'm going to have to sing a song in Chinese. So, yeah, <laughs> there are lots of funny things you're gonna do and eventually gonna do it yeah (laughs) yeah i will look for that link please don't hesitate to send it to me after we hop off today um that would be a lot of fun to share and that gives me a chance to point out something that you told me just before we started and you've segued so nicely to it i I can't avoid it uh, that you have a name in chinese because you lived there for three years which makes your decision to agree to sing a song in chinese a little more understandable i would just (laughs) yeah wouldn't it? Um, can you tell us what your name in Chinese is? Uh, well, sure. Um, well, my name is Ahmed Al-Amin. So before I tell you my name, I need to explain the logic behind it. Of course. In China, they, they assign you a name because they need to, they need a name they can write uh, according to their symbols. They don't have letters. You cannot spell a word in Chinese. They have symbols. It's like a hilogram. So they have symbols that, that create sounds. 
you know so so they have to have symbols that can that resemble my 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 the sounds of my full name so my full my chinese name is hamida hamida and the ha the the first letter they use is the same word they use when you want to laugh you know when you write ha 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 like that so they use the the laugh symbol as my first name which was you know <laughs> you know positive i guess <laughs> yeah that's got to yeah. be a fun name to have you know just think to yourself like yeah and the uh, first symbol there that's laughter that's right yeah, actually, yeah, actually, every time, every time I introduce myself to, to a Chinese person, uh, he or she, they always, when I tell them my name is Hamida, they always ask. Ah, it's, it's like Hamingo. Hamingo means watermelon. I mean, like sweet watermelon. You know. <laughs> so every time I tell them my name is Hamida, they say, "Oh, you mean like sweet watermelon?" I say, "Yeah, that's 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 what my name means." <laughs> Sometimes sweeter. <laughs> ah, very smooth, my friend. Okay, you must have been yeah. quite lady killer. That's uh, my pick. That's my pickup line in China. <laughs> okay, and um, yeah. just for the full record, you know your wife will be able to hear this. She will go, oh, so that was how it was, huh, buddy? Okay. Um, <laughs> look who thought he was actually Mr. smooth. Actually, in actually. Actually, the the way we met is is much much more romantic than this. So, yeah. Oh, really? It's a different uh, story. Yeah. Do you want to take yeah. a moment to tell it? I I hate to cut out a love sure. story from any conversation. Plus, these days, everybody <laughs> needs a, a heartwarming story to remind them of why they're locked up with their significant other, or what it's like when you don't have that. Uh, how'd that all happen? Um. Well, I was. Uh, there's a cafe in China. You know the you know the TV series Friends. They have a a cafe uh, like chain called Central Park which is based on friends and it was uh, close to my home my wife's every favorite weekend I, yeah exactly <laughs> and every weekend i go there just to to write uh, or read something just to relax in the morning and while i was sitting by myself write, writing uh, she was sitting almost behind me she was walking on her laptop and the the strange things is this train part she was singing to herself a song in, in Arabic language, which I used to listen to when I was a kid on my way to school every day, you know, and, and in that in the place I was living in, most people don't speak Chinese, you know, when I, when I heard her sing that song, I was like, what? There's no way. So I just looked and asked her, how do you know this song? And, and uh, she, ta- she, she loves, you know, like the uh, Middle Eastern music and songs. She doesn't speak the language, but she just listened to them. She, she found them by, by, by you know, by chance and uh and i thought that's beautiful you know because whenever you see something like if you google like i'm from iraq if you google Iraq, you don't see something beautiful you don't see like mesopotamia or have about the epic of gilgamesh so when i when she was saying something positive about you know hearing something positive about us i was like wow that's amazing so that's how we met and we started talking to each other and it was like uh, fate yeah well, I would certainly say that anyone who is on the side of fate or even gives it a consideration would probably agree with you on that. Um, that That's really quite amazing that she's singing a song you know, and it's not one that's from her, you know, history or background, but it's one that she found beautiful. And, ah, wow, that's that's quite a beautiful yeah. song. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so. And how long ago was that? If you don't mind me asking, uh, that was that was exactly in 2018 in February, uh, February 18th. Uh, nice. That's the first. That, yeah. 
that's that's how we the first time we met and like two days later we went on on our first date which was something somewhere in between Iraq and China it was an Indian restaurant <laughs> <laughs> she, she picked the place uh, you know I didn't we didn't think about it at, at the time but now like recently we thought about it. yeah we met halfway there you know <laughs> so, yeah <laughs> that's a yeah. great story um, and I, I love the idea of okay let's let's meet somewhere in the middle when it comes to culture cuisine and a first date that's a lot of fun yeah. <laughs> Now, I, I love the fact that you've one of the great things about having a conversation with anyone is is the way their answers kind of open up all the avenues that we can, you know, move forward. And I, I think what's great is that you mentioned that you live in Iraq. Um, currently, you're calling me from where? Where am I calling? Uh, uh, well, uh, I am calling from Kuwait, actually. At the moment, I live in Kuwait. Uh, right. I am originally from Iraq, yeah. Um, and actually, our family moved here a long, long, long time ago uh, when things were bad over there. And uh, like in, in, the, in the late 70s, we, we started living here. So so it really was bad since then. And uh, yeah, most of my life was in Kuwait, actually. So and I lived a, a little, you know, in, in Egypt for a while and, and in Emirates and in China where I met my wife. And right now I'm back here living um, close, close to the family. And uh, yeah, me and the missus are living here right now. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. And I understand, you know, what you were saying earlier was, was something very powerful, which was that here you had met a woman who was talking about one of the beautiful things that came from Iraq and that that wasn't yeah. something you were used to hearing from others. And when you were talking about some of the other things that you would like to hear from others, the Mesopotamia, um, the, the, you know, the the amazing cradle that uh, is part of the history of uh, Iraq, Kuwait, so many of the surrounding countries, and more importantly, a history that you've been able to tap into. In fact, I, I think what's probably important is we should probably tell people who you are, what you're doing right now, and why an Indiegogo is so important. What's the Indiegogo for? And maybe tell us a, lot, a little about the history that you would like to celebrate about uh, Iraq and the surrounding regions and, and something that's not always talked about and how that led into uh, the project you're working on right now, which we should probably tell people what the title is. Yeah, sure. Uh, you want to tell them the title or should I? Uh, I'm going to let you do it because there's always the chance I'm going to mispronounce something. <laughs> and for some reason, whenever someone else talks about a project they love, the way they sound it, they always just sound it. You know, they always just say it right. Does that make sense? There's oh. there's something about the passion behind someone telling me the yes. name of their project where you go, wow, that's the way you're supposed to say it. Oh, yeah. When, when someone brag about his kid, it's not like someone else bragging about his own his other kids, right? It's uh, someone else's kid. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, all right. So, my name is Ahmed, a.k.a. Hamida. Uh, I am the creator of the comic book, The Epics of Enkidu. Uh, which features a superhero with autism, uh, and it's also a sequel to the oldest story found in human history. For those who don't know what, what story that is, it's the Epic of Gilgamesh, the oldest story found in human history. The oldest version of that uh, story is uh, was found in twenty-one century BC. That's more than four thousand years ago, and the National Geographic uh, magazine, history magazine, calls it the world's first action hero, 
So my comic is like a sequel to the oldest action hero. And uh, we started the Indigo campaign less than two weeks ago and just reached our full uh, funding goals. And we still, you know, keep going. And actually, the comic was inspired by my nephew, who is a very awesome autistic kid. And uh, of course, by Mesopotamian myths and legends and also other legends like um, Chinese uh, legends and uh, Celtic and Egyptian and so many more, uh, which, I, which I'm going to explain later why I, I chose to do that. And uh, I mean, uh, what, what more you want me to say? <laughs> <laughs> well, first, you can find shout and ask me more about <laughs> what I've just said. But this is the introduction of my project. And, uh, you know, I hope people who are listening are going to be very interested about it. So, so do I. And, and what I love is that each uh, there's so many elements that you brought up that we can talk about that I'm sure is going to be really uh, interesting for everyone who's listening to start out with. I'm familiar with the story of Gilgamesh, and I, I know that he is considered to be uh, you know the first action hero. It's considered to be the first written work. Um, I think the only thing that can come close in comparison as far as like timeline and narrative is uh, the is Beowulf, which is much younger. But uh, by comparison, those are the only two early examples we have of of a work that that sort of details this huge, long, sprawling tale. And while I've heard of Gilgamesh, I hadn't heard I, I didn't have that same name recognition with Ankitu, and it made me want to go back and, and read the story and try and figure out uh, what I missed when I was a college kid, burning through books left and right, and and also what it is that others who might not even know who he was understand his connection to the story of Gilgamesh and how his story is now taking place in the modern world. Yeah, I mean... Um... Enkidu, I mean, he's a very iconic character, but no one looks at him because, you know, the title of the of the poem is Epic of Gilgamesh. So, um, like, most people see him, see Enkidu see as a sidekick, but when I revisited the the, uh, the epic, I mean, I found that I love Enkidu more for many reasons. First of all, in, uh, Gilgamesh was the villain in the beginning of the story. He was a bad king who, who does bad things, and he was taking the wives on the first night of their wedding, you know, like, like that. And Enkidu was the good guy in the beginning of the story, and he changed him. He changed Gilgamesh and made him a good guy. And that's that's heroic. He, not only he's just, you know, strong and, and fierce, but he inspired people to be good. And I thought that, oh, that's, that's heroic. And the second thing is, uh, I, I saw Enkidu as an outcast of society from, from the story. From the beginning, he, they describe him like almost animalistic, animalistic and Who's, who, who, whose even words are not, you know, not co um, comprehended very well, and he lives far away from people. And, and it made me think about my nephew, you know? I mean, he's an outcast so, to many people, even though, he, to me, he's, he's the closest. I, I really love him more than anything, you know? I, I think of him as my son. And uh, when, when I decided to do a, a comic for my nephew, because I, I, I just wanted to do something for him, uh, that's why, I was thinking about the epic of Gilgamesh, the epic of Gilgamesh, and and when I read it, we visited it. I saw, I know, I saw Enkidu in him. You know, I felt, wow. I mean, that will be something, you know, epic. So that's why I decided to focus on Enkidu and make the story uh, based on that. That's really great. Um, 
And how did you come to the process of deciding that you could tell the story of Enkidu in modern day, bring him into the present day and and tell his story from that point instead of, you know, choosing some uh, historical reference that already has background or it basis in the Gilgamesh story from that time period. You chose the present. Was that a, an active choice? Yeah. Was there a reason why you saw the story working for you in that way? Oh, in many ways, actually. Um, first of all, I'm going to explain how it happens. It happens to be taking place in the modern world. Um, in, in the epic of Gilgamesh, um, like the, 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 the book that we have is, is a collective of different versions of, of the epic. And uh, there are two versions where either version, versions, Enkidu ends up in the underworld. One of them is he's going to die. Uh, like he gets sick and he gets sent there to the underworld. They, they, they throw him there or whatever. And second one, he goes there to fetch something for Gilgamesh and he gets lost in the underworld. So either way, he's in the underworld. Now, how did I bring that story to our modern day uh, is by thinking of the logic of history. Like what used to be magic right now, it's science. Uh, for example, uh, one of the things from ancient uh, Mesopotamia is the doctor who was called Abzu he always advised people not to go play in dirty places because there are small demons that can go inside your body and makes you sick. Now, by, by, our, by our logic, he means that there are microbes or, or whatever or, or that can get him infected and he becomes sick. So what are underworlds? I was thinking, oh, they could be like an out-of-time uh, uh, dimension that's, uh, you know, like, like people, if they go thrown to, to it, they cannot find a way for find a way out of it, uh, because you know our, our brains cannot, uh, you know, uh, comprehend that kind of dimension. But a brain like Enkidu, an autistic guy who who can see things differently, might might find a way out. You know, and that's how I brought the story, brought the character to our modern day. And well, and I love I've that because the uh, <laughs> oh, that's okay. Well, what I love is that what you brought up is something really powerful. We're we're getting closer and closer to people accepting something that in comics that I remember reading as a kid was so outlandish. The idea of a parallel universe about worlds that exist right next to ours but are separated either from a vibrational frequency or some other distinction that allows it to be close enough to ours that they should be able to overlap. And yet, because of how we're created or how we perceive the world, we can't access that other dimension, whatever it might be. And, you know, this is something that that hews back to uh, DC Comics, to Marvel, so many different more independent as well have taken up this idea. Now, even in science, we're hearing discussions where they say, yeah, we've all been told there might be another version of us out there. Turns out science could prove that it's true. So I love that you're able to show through that great example of microbes, of disease, and of the early example that was expressed, which is, you know, tiny demons, tiny creatures, maleficent, uh, <laughs> that can attack you. And it's like, well, the population's there. It's just the difference between how the language is being used to describe it and how you're able to take that and then say, well, let's take something that seems so mysterious, mystical, magical, and give it a scientific modern viewpoint or lens and then use that to to tell this story. Um, so, yeah, what, I think my second part of the question, if I can try and pick it up from yeah. there. Is actually, that the, actually, yeah. What's that? 
I'm sorry, yeah. Uh, actually, I just remembered the question. Go for it. There you go. See? Now you've got it. Uh, you asked me, yeah. <laughs> you were asking me how, how this uh, bringing him into the modern world is going to affect the story. Well, uh, as I mentioned, that the, the epic of uh, Gilgamesh, the oldest version, was almost more than 4,000 years ago. So I have 4,000 years of history and mythology I can play with, you know, from around the world, which means I can do, uh, you know, uh, infinite amount of volumes and uh, issues and side stories and spin-offs in the, in the story itself, you know. Um, and I have a lot of characters, and not just Enkidu, in, in my comic book. And uh, one of the perks for my Indiegogo campaign is you can become a character in my comic book. Like, uh, for example, uh, one of the characters was from Norse mythology. Uh, she's from Denmark. So I'm going to base her character according to Norse mythology and so on. So many, many people from all, all around the world, they picked that perk. And, and because I have a lot of history, I can use all these characters to, to create another uh, like friends, sidekicks or villains to, uh, in, in the epics of Enkidu that will work perfectly with the story. <laughs> wow, that must be like a playground for you. 4,000 years of potential oh, yeah. Mystery, storytelling, <laughs> fables, mythology. <laughs> yeah, it's it's, my, it's a dream come true, you know. <laughs> Honestly, I have all the toys to play with, and no one can, you know, object because you know it's history. You cannot say no. You know? <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, I like that. It's history. You can't say no. That's a good one. <laughs> uh, yeah. now, maybe to give folks a little idea, one. Um, is this your first Indiegogo? How how did you accomplish your goal in a matter of two weeks? Um, remind me again what your goal was and, you know, the fact that people maybe can put a an idea in their mind of, of what it's like to achieve that kind of number in a two-week span. And now we're going to take a quick break to pay some bills with this word from our sponsor. Um, it is... I mean, definitely it's my first Indiegogo. And I remember the first uh, four days when I started it, I, I was thinking, I wish I marketed it more, you know, because I, I only marketed the Indiegogo for two months, which is really not enough. You have to have at least six months. Everyone did that, but, uh, you know, I'm going to pour my heart out because of this uh, quarantine curfew. Right now we are in full curfew, um, kind of, um, you know, um, stop, uh, you know, uh, lost my job and everything. So I thought, you know what, I'm going to do this Indiegogo thing. I'm going to, because I've been wanting to do this for a long time. And I thought, you know, this is the perfect time. I'm at home. I'm not doing anything else. So I'll just say, go for it. So I started the campaign and I believe the reason why it was successful and I'm not saying this to, to brag or anything, but I think because I had a good idea, a good product, and, and when I reach out to the right people, those people, they didn't hesitate to help me. You know, like one of the people I reached out to was uh, an actual uh, PhD, uh, a sheriologist, uh, PhD holder. Um, she, she hosted a channel on YouTube called Digital Hammurabi, and immediately she, she interviewed me like the second day, and right after when the, when the Indigo campaign was out, she just, you know, spread the word. And like from the first day, I was able to get uh, 36%. Uh, 50, yeah, I was I was able to reach 36% in my Indiegogo campaign, which is good because that bumps your uh, rating up. So for everyone to see, 
and uh, yeah, so and everyone loved the uh, become become a character perk. So if, because I choose, you know, uh, very good appealing perks, and that that also works for the people. You know, when you have uh, something like that, we have good perks. People will, will tend to go for it. And uh, of course, I it, honestly, you know, I I didn't just do it by myself. The, the people around me helped. I'm, I'm, and by around me, I mean the people I who interviewed me, people who spread the word. Uh, and you are one of the people right now, of course. <laughs> so yeah, and uh, I guess I guess it's one of those things, you know, that uh, came out at the right time, and I got the right people, and that's why, you know, I was able to be successful. And just recently, like, like yesterday, uh, I well, I managed to uh, have a, a celebrity, a uh, famous Australian Iraqi Australian artist, to be a character in my comic book. Oh wow! He, he he heard yeah he heard about it he loved it and he was like you know what I want I want this and I sent him a, a, a picture of how he's gonna look in the character and in the comic and he even uh, uh, you know asked me if I can add, add a tattoo on his chest it was I think a name of his daughter yeah and I thought you know what yeah sure I'll do it <laughs> so yeah uh, that's really so quite I, I amazing I believe that's, yeah I believe that's why my my Indiegogo was successful because you know there are good good factors and you know in a way i got lucky with the idea you know so yeah well i love the fact that you also pointed out that you know you couldn't do it alone that you had some great support early on um that interview sounds like it really just gave you a great bump right from the beginning 36 percent. that's phenomenal yeah. yeah um and also to have someone who is a phd in your vein of history who's able to talk about some of the complexities, delve with a, a greater sort of knowledge base than myself or the, you know, the average person who doesn't have that wealth of training experience um, and understanding, which, man, that must have been really great. I love her channel's name, Hammurabi. That just reminds me yeah. of... Uh, Digital you know, Hammurabi. <laughs> I love it. Digital Hammurabi. I Digital love Hammurabi. Yeah, that's, that's a yeah. really brilliant, you know... And, <laughs> it's and it's funny because in that moment, I'm like suddenly drawn back to like seventh grade history here um, where that was, you know, uh, the the laws of Hammurabi and, and just this really great sort of like sense of a, a time when there was like a structure, there was an order and it seemed so um, unexpected. You know, we're always talking about the past with this idea of it being maybe uh, crude or less polished. And there's these moments where you can point to and you can go, no, this is. One of the things we try and model modern society after, you know, this was an example. So, uh, wow, what a great reference point. And also from all the people around you who are helping you out now, clearly they had some faith in you, but it, it must be based on something. Um, had you written a comic book before? That probably is a question for a lot of people as well. Like how many of the other comics have you done before you launched this Indiegogo project? Well, I actually... I'm an author. I wrote books at first, published books, and, and uh, uh, my first published book was called Sykes. It became a bestseller uh, while I lived in Kuwait. Uh, but the first comic was, was called Team Genesis, and it was actually first done as a motion comic. And then I released like two issues from, from that comic. Um, huh. And the reason why, uh, yeah, the reason why I did that, that, the motion comic, was because I was inspired by another uh, motion comic. and which I believe um, is, was a masterpiece of, masterpiece of motion comics and masterpiece of storytelling for, for matters. Uh, it's called Broken Saints. 
It's by Books Burgess. It's a Canadian motion comic. Okay. And I loved how it was done. Yeah, it was really beautiful. Uh, it was very inspiring. And, and I thought, you know what? I want to do that. You know, I, I want to do something like that uh, with what I have. There were just three guys, to, and they did this together, and it was awesome. I thought, okay, I'll find just a couple of people who can help me. And I couldn't. No one wants to work for free. So eventually I thought, <laughs> you know what? I'm just, yeah, I'm going to just learn how to draw. I'm going to teach myself. Uh, I even started to, at the beginning to watch YouTube tutorial, how to draw comics and everything. It's, it's really frustrating. You know, most of the YouTube channels, they just start talking about their life and like in the middle. And, and you, you're just waiting for the tutorial to start. <laughs> so, <laughs> just yeah, do it all. Hello, my name is... Yeah, hello, my name is like this. I'm sorry, last week I didn't post. I was doing this thing and this. Anyhow, done this. You know what? Let's me talk about this thing who sponsored me. And, and I'm like, oh, come on, start already. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> but somehow yeah. you persevered. You, you found a way yeah. and you I taught yourself forward. how to draw. <laughs> yeah, uh, eventually I pushed forward. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, if you really believe in something, you're just going to go through the, all these bumps in your road, in the road eventually you, you reach where you want to go you know, so. wow that's phenomenal how long did it take from when you first started teaching yourself how to draw before you had started on your or completed your motion comic what was that time frame like well the drawing thing i remember it took a couple of months like like two months maybe i'm not sure uh, like i'm not sure how much exactly it took but but span in months you know and the motion comic, I, I, I had to learn from uh, YouTube again how to use After Effects and uh, Adobe, Adobe Premiere. Uh, okay. And that was, that was, I think, in 2014, yeah, late 2014 uh, and early 2015. Uh, and I released the first episode of the motion, my motion comic. It was 20, 20 minutes long uh, on, on, uh, on, I think, April 2015. Um, so, yeah. It's uh, that that's how long it took me. At the Understood. time, I didn't have anything else to do, so <laughs> <laughs> I just did that. So yeah, it helped to be to be bored. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like it's actually been the uh, you know impetus for uh, you know two great projects. You know, you're suddenly going, "I've got time on my hands. Let's do something," and that's where these amazing works yeah. have come out. And next time I'm gonna find cure for for cancer. <laughs> hey man, if you teach yourself how to draw, do all that other stuff. I have all the faith in the world. In fact, I want to have you back on when you do, and we're gonna have a great chat. How it all started with <laughs> with the motion comic, and now it's curing cancer. Um, if you wouldn't mind, maybe for folks who would like to get an idea of what you were doing beforehand, and also a little bit about your storytelling uh, to compare with uh with your comic book with this uh story we now have about Enkidu. uh tell me a little bit about sykes just i mean it's a national bestseller oh. it clearly must have uh, been of a powerful nature just give us a little insight how this was a story that could get so much attention and awareness and uh, be such a great example of your writing ability uh sure i mean um i mean I'd actually, before I started Sykes, um, I, I wasn't ever thinking about writing or become a writer. I mean, at the time, I just, I just love reading stories. But um, I mentioned that I, I lived for a while in Emirates, uh, close to Dubai, to a place called Ajman. 
And uh, I met a group of students there who, who, who wants to make a movie, um, like a very low budget movie. And uh, I was with them. They didn't have a, a complete idea or whatever. They were telling me what they have. Whatever. And I remember I told them a couple of ideas they can use. And, and I told them, you know, I gave them some of my ideas, you know, like something you can do this, this, and about that. And, and I remember how, how I looked at them, and, and, I, and I didn't expect anything when I was telling my ideas, but they looked very impressed, you know. They were like, wow, that's nice. And how do you came up with this? And I just thought about it, you know. And uh, that's when I thought, okay, I think that's, that's something I want to do. And, and I just, you know, started just collecting ideas. I just didn't start to do anything. Until, uh, until when I was in Egypt, uh, there was this guy... Uh, we were watching a movie and we were talking things, and I was telling him I have this idea, and I told him about the idea, which is which was the the Sykes book, uh, the first book, um, mm-hmm. and and he called me the second day. It was in a DVD store, and he told me what's the name of that movie you told me about. And he said what, what movie, and he explained what I told him. The story. I told him no, that's not a movie. That's a book I want to write. And I was oh, I thought it was a movie. I really wanted to watch it, and I was no okay. Once I hang up, I just went to my laptop and I started writing. That, that's wow. that, that's the day I thought you know what I'm gonna do it you know and and, and two weeks later and, and I'm not I'm not kidding this is true I got robbed while I was there they stole my laptop my cell phone and my wallet oh, man. after I reached like thirty pages in my book uh. that happened you know yeah um, it was it was really weird and um, I remember later like. Uh, like a month later, uh, you know, I got I got a different phone and everything, and I got a very cheap laptop, uh, and 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 I thought, you know what, I want to do it. I I wasn't, you know, I didn't stop. I thought, you know what, I, I like this idea. I'm gonna keep doing it. And yeah, and that's that. And and I wrote the first thirty pages, which probably were bad, you know, because maybe if that thief didn't steal my laptop, <laughs> I had the the worst opening, you know. But when I saw, I thought, you know what, I changed everything. Yeah. So yeah, eventually I did that, uh, and I self-published it in Kuwait. I didn't have any expectations. I just put it there, and people in the bookstore were very friendly towards me. And uh, like, I only placed 15 copies, and then when I came back like um, a month later, just to check on them because I didn't expect anyone would, you know, I, I thought it was gonna be like three, two copies, and they told me it sold out, you know. And uh, the owner of the bookstore, he was, uh, was like, oh, so that they have different branches. So I gave them 200 copies this time. And uh, yeah, and like they just went out, you know. Um, I had like a thousand copies and now it's only like uh, 50 of them left. That's from the first book. Uh, and yeah, and I just wrote the second book, which is a sequel to that book. Uh, and I published it online only. And uh, I, I printed it now, but I, I couldn't sell it because of the you know, the situation right now. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that, that's how, how Sykes started. Oh, I forgot <laughs> to tell you what's about. <laughs> uh, the that's is, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anyhow, um, uh, the, the, um, the book is actually follows a guy, I named him after my, uh, I named him, I named him uh, Hassan, uh, and he, he has eight spirits connected to him by the tragic event of his birth. Um, and those spirits, they, they, they help him, you know, they, it's like an action thriller actually. And like, 
like, like if there's someone hiding behind the wall, they can scout for him, they can tell him, and they taught him things they knew when they were alive, you know, like they gave him their own knowledge of, like some of them are soldiers, some of them are like, uh, you know, so it's, it's one of these stories, and, and I know it sounds weird, but actually it makes sense, and uh, when you hear how it happened to him, uh, and, and yeah, the story started like that, and um, and and because he thinks he have he have this ability to know things, to take things, to respect things, he he you know, it makes him feel like he's invincible. But he soon he'll find out that this is really not the case, and he, he will be targeted. You know about with with what he had. So yeah, it's, it's this this is the main idea of the of the story, and it's one of those complicated story that you know it starts simple, but little by little, you know, it's. it's it's evolved to something different and eventually to, you know, one of those uh, twists and turns, you know, it has a lot of uh, plot twist in it. So, yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it does. Um, I love the idea. It reminds me of some stories that I've, I've seen before that reminds me of a movie from back in, I think the nineties with Robert Downey Jr. And it's, it's set where he's like a, He's either a newborn or he's about to be born and there's a bus accident and all the spirits from the bus accident are attached to the newborn baby and are then able to follow him along. But that was more of a comedic approach. I've never heard of this described in like an action setting like you are, uh, especially with, uh, you know, a cast of ghosts who have military experience and can give that knowledge. This was sort of just a tongue in cheek comedy slapstick, um, you know, with a, a love story element involved. Um, but what you're talking about sounds much more interesting, much more exciting. And it also reminds me when someone comes up with an idea and then later somebody else comes along and goes, yeah, I took that idea and did something amazing with it. And that's what Psych sounds like to me. So I, I well, love the concept. I, I never also. saw that movie, but now I want to watch it. <laughs> if I can find the called? name of it, if I can find oh, yeah. the name, um, I will look it up. In fact... I'll even cheat while we're doing this, and at one point I'll do a little IMDb investigation and come up <laughs> with that name. Now, here's the thing that I'm intrigued by. You know, you just sat down, you started working on Sykes, that you get robbed, you turn around and you do something that I've heard from writing instructors, which is sometimes they'll tell you to just, you know, take what you've written, put it in a drawer and rewrite it again from the beginning. Now, basically yours was taken, so you had to start over, and then... From that, you went ahead and did a sequel. Now, where in all this did the idea for the comic book come? How, was it after you'd started on the sequel? Did it take only, you know, uh, a short amount of time? Because you've mentioned how long it took you to draw. How did how did coming up with the comic book fit in with Sykes and the, the sequel? Uh, I'm, I'm the kind of guy who writes more than one story at the same time. You know, uh, <laughs> not the same time. You know, I just, I, ha I have a schedule, you know, like... Uh, I, I try to um, to write at least one thousand words a day from each uh, story I have, and I have a lot of stories, you know. Um, um, so I was doing the uh, the second book of Sack is called The Remnant, uh, and uh, I, I was I remember I was writing that book uh, while I was like I'm taking what every time I take a break from writing I start drawing, you know. So I take, you know, like drawing became some kind of a hobby for me instead of, you know, writing. So it's like this, you know, when, when I stop something, I do the other thing, which also, you know, it's also educational, but at the same time, I try to make it fun, you know, so, so it won't sound like work at the same time. So that, that's how I did it, actually. And uh, yeah, actually, I'm 
every time I write something, I just put it on paper and just do a specific time and that's it. But once I finish writing the rewrite, I always rewrite anything I write. I concentrate on that. That's it. So when I finish the remnant, I stop doing everything else and I just rewrite, I rewrote that book and that's it, which is my best part of, of writing the rewrite. <laughs> <laughs> Um, which I'm sure is going to be an interesting experience for those people who are like, yeah, that's not always my, uh, you know, favorite time. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, it's, way- it's my favorite time, really. I love it. I know most people complain about it, but for me, the rewrite is the best thing for me. I, I love rewriting as a writer. It's something where I get the chance to go in and try and tell it my best way. And each time I'm always looking for, did, did that come out the way I was hoping to say it, or is that just as close as I got this time? And each time is how much closer can I get to what I really want to happen, not only in the story and in the writing, but um, in the experience, like how this connects to everything else that I'm, I'm trying to build on. So you've got another fan here in the rewrite. And also, I wanted to let you know, I did my diligence, and the Robert Downey movie is called Heart and Souls. It came out in 1993. All right, I'll look it up. Just so yeah, uh, it's it's a very comedic take on this idea. But when you were mentioning uh, about the character from Sykes and about how he has these spirits, I was like, I know of a story. It doesn't sound anything like that. But I remember a story about a guy stuck with spirits. And um, yeah, what you're telling me about Sykes, that, that, that sounds really great. What What's sticking with me right now is the fact that you're talking about writing a thousand words a day on more than one project so a thousand words i, for I one try to do i try oh. <laughs> i try to write one thousand <laughs> i try to do it yeah okay because i know guys from my writing classes who would be like who is this guy what drugs is he on and how is it that we can like become angry at the fact he's doing what you know most of us struggle with um so the goal is a thousand how often do you say that that's something that you keep track of, you uh, acknowledge when it's something you're able to achieve, or is it more something you can look back on on occasion and say, hey, I, I had a couple of good days there? Well, it's, it's a kind of a mix of that, you know. Sometimes, uh, um, like, I have a full week where nothing interrupts me, you know, nothing happens, nothing, no one asks me to do anything or whatever. Uh, I can, I can, I can hit a full, you know, a perfect strike uh, like a full week uh, where I can write 1,000 words every day. Um, there are weeks, there are times I don't even write a single word for, for, for 10 days, you know, and that's when, when, I, when I'm become, you know, uh, busy with, you know, uh, with life with outside of my world. Um, so, yeah, and there are days I can write even more, like 2,000, 2000 words. So it's, it's one of those, it's a struggle, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's not not something that that's too easy to do, uh, but you know if you really believe uh, with what you have, if you really have fun with it, you know when when writing becomes fun, you know it's it's something you really want to do. It's like watching a movie, you know. You would do you would have you would have time to you would make time to watch movies, right? You, no matter what, I mean, because again, I think yeah, it's just watch a movie. It's you gonna watch. It's fun, you know. So. For me, writing is fun. You know, I, I, I enjoy it. You know, and that's I'm, I'm lucky with that. I'm lucky that way. You know, I mean, like Stephen King, he's, he's a professional writer. He writes a lot of books, and uh, obviously he does it because because he's programmed to do these things. He, he's programmed to sit down and do it. 
And the hardest part in writing is to sit down and actually do the world. I mean, anyone right out there right now could be the best writer in the world, but we'll never know about it because he was he or she was too lazy to just sit down and do the work. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, I think the struggle is something everyone who writes can relate to. And I love that you brought up that, you know, there's there's a week when you're not interrupted where you can get as much done as possible. And then there's another week that could happen where life gets in the way as it does for all of us. And that's probably um, something that's a great reminder for anyone listening and working on their craft, whether it's as a writer or a comic artist. There's going to be times when you can't do what you want because other things are going to be a higher priority. But when you do have the time, what are you doing with it? And it sounds like when you had that time, that was your goal. Hey, I have a chance to get my thousand words today. This is my chance to either do something with that or let that moment pass me by. You made a choice to do something with it. <laughs> and I think what's also helpful is seeing what the works that came out of it. Now, you know, what we've had a chance to talk about is the fact that you started out with Sykes. You also have a sequel. And now you've uh, transitioned into comics with your first motion comic. And now... Um, as we're talking today about the epics of Enkidu. Uh, keeping all of that in mind, you know, you also mentioned the fact that you have an opportunity to tell this amazing story from history and bring it to life, not only with Enkidu, but also with a lot of other characters you're hoping to spin out of. Is there any character you're looking at right now where you're saying to yourself, I want to tell a story about you next? Or I want to keep telling your story because of what you're able to sort of touch on in Enkidu or what you're able to discover in the process of writing the epics of Enkidu. Is there another character you have in mind for, you know, the next branching out? Or is it maybe a sequel to well, the epics of Enkidu? <laughs> well, um, actually, I'm, you know, it's one of those things, you know, I have, I have this... In the beginning, I was thinking about Inkidu and there's two stories about Inkidu and I just connect all these characters to be a guest in my, my comic book. Eventually, I was, I was you know, the, as I, I have, uh, like I have a notebook where I, every time I have an idea, I, I just write it down and the more ideas I got, the, the, the more I started to think, wow, I can just build a universe out of this. So honestly, I, I'm thinking of not just make the epics of Inkidu, if things go go well, and I, I really wish it goes well, because I'm, 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 I have so many ideas to I want to tell, uh, I might just create a full universe with different epics. You know, like um, one of the characters, the one people who bought it, it's, it's called the it's called Megan, the character, and uh, she's based on the Celtic uh, mythology, the Morrigan, and. It's it's you know it's really nice it's really nice idea and I could write different arcs about this story and I was thinking wow that would be nice I could I could name it the epics of uh, Morgan or something like that and and that's my universe I just write the epics with the name of <laughs> a different <laughs> mythological work <laughs> I was okay I can do that you know I can create different epics you know with, from based on different uh, characters you know so yeah and we can yeah. interact uh, with each other once in a while yeah I've already had Lots of ideas, and I, I sometimes think I'm not sure I'm going to live long enough to tell them. <laughs> <laughs> well, it sounds like there's a, a, a possibility here with the Megan character, and um, I, I love oh, yeah. the fact that you're touching into... So What's that? I'm sorry, yeah. 
I said, uh, that, that's just one of the characters. I have a lot of characters that, that each of them I can make a lot of uh, stories from, you know? That, that's one, you just mentioned Megan. I was like, yeah, that, that's full character that can make different arts, but I even have even more. So, yeah. Well, and what and I so, love is that I'm a huge fan of uh, books that have touched on this idea. There's one um, written by a gentleman, uh, I think it was like in the back in the 40s, and it's called The White Goddess. And he does this job of going back into early Great Britain mythology, Celtic mythology, when it was tribal. Mm -hmm. And there was a, an understanding that Druids played a certain role. And he starts yeah. examining the transition of the language-based cultures and how there was this idea of, like, if you were going to defeat another culture, one of the ways that you could and take uh, in a position of authority is to learn the secret name of the deity that they worship or of, uh, of the God that they were involved in. And if you could do that, if you could give that secret name, you could totally, you know, take over without any violence. It was just sort of like a mastery kind of an idea. And as I was reading this book, he goes into all these different examples about how we think history was sort of like these segmented areas where life occurred. And yet he's showing that, you know, there were priests coming from Ireland, Great Britain, going to Egypt, going to Greece, sharing the philosophies, mythologies, stories, and how different times there would be a different version of a Hercules, a Moses, uh, a, uh, a version that was using Egyptian uh, history and mythology, and how this blending was something that was really quite common you know it was very common for an overlapping to occur between different ideas about who these mythic stories were who these mythic characters were and who everybody was deciding at that time to sort of like hey this is who we're naming ourselves after this is who we're following um and what you're showing is this ability for people to say wait a minute but if he's writing a story about Gilgamesh and a character from that story how, how can he say that there's characters that are connecting from Celtic mythology how can that be a connection? And yet I love that some of the reading that That'd I be big. Is, oh, yeah, <laughs> actually, no, no, there's a history that, that more and more of it's being exposed. And the recognition is that people were talking a long time ago and they were sharing these stories and they knew more about each other than we sometimes like to let on. Maybe entire nations didn't know as much, but the people who sought knowledge, who were willing to go anywhere who were willing to, you know, be open to learning, they were exposed to histories, stories, legends that the, the larger majority sort of went, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> and, and I love the fact that you've been able to make those connections uh, early on with the epics of Enkidu, where your next book could be about Celtic mythology, or it could cover a character from another history or mythology that, to the untrained eye might seem unconnected, but after seeing how the characters appear in this story, they'll be able to see all these possibilities too. That's got to be yeah. a great experience to connect so many different pieces of a history that at first glance seems separate, but clearly you've recognized how connected it really is. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm like it that way, I guess. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, keeping that all in mind, let me just, you know, touch for a minute on the fact that, You've achieved your goal. 
you now have the funding you need to start on this project. You're going to be cooking for the next month, which means your wife won't be. Uh, with all of that in mind, what's the timeline look like for when you plan to have the book finished and ready for people to buy and read, or if they were already part of the investment, get uh, you know their perks and such uh, when it's all ready to go? How soon do you think you'll be ready? Uh, I'm shooting for September release at the moment so yeah yeah i'm shooting for a september release hopefully we're gonna finish the comic book and market during these times and uh yeah i'm i'm, I'm really hopeful and positive we can we can achieve that uh, if i don't know if there's because i'm, I'm i don't want to jinx it but if somehow a publisher decides to pick it or something i'm gonna have to depend on their time so for me, if I'm gonna do it by myself, and so far it looks like I'm gonna do it by myself, uh, I'm 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 gonna I'm gonna publish it on on September. So we'll see. Well, I also wanted to just touch on the fact that um you know it's not like you were just drawing the comic or putting together this proposal and waiting. You've got some amazing work already put together. Uh, I mean, the trailer alone. Can we just for a minute talk about? Uh, how it was you were able to put that together, if you worked with anyone on it, if that was all just you. Um, and and I've seen some amazing stuff from other comic artists who've looked at a trailer as a great way. Even the bigger names like DC and Marvel have started looking at comic trailers as a way to promote a new book. How did uh, putting together this trailer come to play for the Epics of Enkidu? Um, well, I... I mean, learning how to do motion comic was, was really helpful for me because that I, I know how to do edit and do things like um, add, play some special effects on the videos. And, uh, and, and you know, I wanted to do something that, that makes people curious before I started, you know, talking about my comic. And I invested a lot of time looking at other uh, trailers from, uh, from Indiegogo and Kickstarter to, you know, and take and taking notes and I want to and I was seeing what works, what doesn't work. And uh, eventually I just want to do something like when people watch and, and listen to uh, even the music, how I compose their music myself. Uh, I just want them to think, yeah, okay, that, that's something like I want them to feel drawn, you know, and so, until the right moment, you know, when the uh, violin plays, you know, the, 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 the tense music at the end where the comics cover shows. I, I want the people to just, until that moment, I, don't, I want them to be glued to the TV. And, I, and the only way I can do that is by looking at other people's example and see what works for them. And uh, eventually, yeah, I, I just did it, you know. I'm, I'm, I did it. I showed it to my, my wife and she, she, she always just point the negative, which is very good. You know? <laughs> sure. she, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, it's not helpful when we argue, but but when when it comes to <laughs> checking my work, yeah, it's good. Uh, but anyhow, so she points at, at at what's what doesn't didn't work or anything, and she has a good eye for these things. And eventually, yeah, came out with this uh, trailer, which uh, I'm really glad to hear that you liked it. You know, most people who who saw it always say I was intrigued by the trailer. So. And gone. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was intrigued, and it sounds like your uh, experience working with motion comics was a great way for you to use that talent to put together a trailer and, as you said, get people interested and excited and curious. Um, you wrote yeah. the own music, which I did not know, and we should just add to your list of amazing credits. That's, <laughs> that's an, another <laughs> accomplishment that, that should be pointed out. 
And it also uh, allows me to just consider, you know, you mentioned that your wife is really helpful uh, providing that that critical editorial eye. And I can honestly say that I've done t- plenty of things where if I have a doubt, I either show it to my wife or read it to her. And she's going to let me know pretty quick what she thinks about it. And sometimes she'll say, well, it's not something I'm into, but I get what it's talking about this and that. And I'm like, hey, you know what? I don't need you to be, you know, hooked on it. But if it's if you understand why it's doing what it's doing, then I've achieved my goal. And other times where she's yeah. like, oh, yeah, that's something I would read. And you're like, OK, OK, I've got my audience. Like, <laughs> you're my toughest critic. Oh, cool. um, but I was also going to say, you know, you've you've had some. Uh, help as well with the inspiration of your nephew. And I was wondering if there was something or more than one thing that you were able to glean from your time and experience and interaction with your nephew that you were able to translate into this book where you could draw on what he's kind of shown you, sort of the lessons you've learned from him or experiences you've had that you could bring to life in the book. Is it something that um there's more than one occurrence is there a singular occurrence how did your relationship with him make its way into the book are there any examples you'd like to point out and now we're going to take a quick break to pay some bills with this word from our sponsor oh uh, sure i mean the first first I mean, the, the comic, the character, my twist on autism is that his brain works so fast that everything around him moves too slow, and that's why he's socially odd and interacts with the world differently. And um, and the reason why, why I thought of this idea, because uh, every time I, I, you know, I'm hanging out with my nephew or play with him since he was a kid, I mean, since he was, you know, you know, he's still a kid, but since he was small. <laughs> I understand. Young, uh, yeah, I, I mean... When, when he trips while he's running or playing something, he balances himself very quickly. And, and like, I, I don't see him fall often. Like, I see his reactions are very, his very strong reactions. Uh, unlike his other nephews and nieces, you know, who, who broke their legs many times in front of me while playing. Uh, oh, you know, they just trip. Yeah, I, like, one of them, I mean, one of my uh, nieces, like, every time she trips, she... I don't know why, but she always twists something or whatever. Um, but but my nephew, he's he's just I don't know. He's he's really balanced himself very quickly and always impressed me. Uh, it's impressive how to to see him do that every time. And I was thinking, ah, oh, maybe his brain works so fast. You know, that's why. And it made me think about another autistic uh, person, uh, Kim Peek. I don't know if you know this guy. He's he's the guy who inspired Rain Man, the movie Rain Man. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. I'm familiar with yeah. him. Yeah. Yeah, the, the, that guy. I mean, he can he can read like uh, any book. He can finish it very quickly. Like one when he opens a book, each eye can reach different page a page, and he can finish the whole two pages in seconds, like two or three seconds, with with ninety eight percent information retained in his head forever. Like if you ask him about what he read ten years ago, he's going to tell you exactly which page, what did he read, and everything. And it made me think like. Wow, his brain works so fast, and I was like thinking, yeah, okay. I was thinking about my nephew and like that. So, so that's how how um, that's how how he inspired me to uh, to think about his, his autism as as actually uh, a strength and not a weakness, you know? Because lots of autistic people are really focused on what they do, you know. Even if we look back in history, so many um, psychiatrists 
can say confidently, they can confidently speculate uh, whether so many of them were autistic. And for example, Sir Isaac Newton, uh, 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 Albert Einstein, you know, um, and Van Gogh, and I forgot which wasn't, I think Jefferson, I'm not sure, uh, also. Uh, so yeah, um, the, th the third president of the United States, I think, yeah, it was, uh, you can look it up. Um, so yeah, I mean, I mean, there are lots of people who are autistic, actually, what looks as a weakness is actually a strength to them. And um, if you look at the, at, at the comic book cover, um, you can see that uh, the Enkidu in the middle, and he's beset by enemies who are attacking him from all sides. And this is, for me, is a symbol, you know, a metaphor of how, you know, how the society uh, throws all these challenges to an autistic person. Uh, my nephew has a lot of challenges, like educational challenges, uh, linguistic challenges, physical challenges. All these things are not easy to overcome for 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 someone who's, who's uh, neurotypical, but a neurodiverse person, it's, it's even much difficult. And every time I see him overcome these things, I'm very impressed. Like when he, when he started reading, I mean, at the beginning it was not that, it was normal, but now he can read with a British accent, you know, which is <laughs> epic, you know. Every time I, I see him read and I tell him, read like Papa Pig. And he started reading like Papa Pig, and, and I'm, I'm just, I just melt, you know? <laughs> yeah, so sweet. And, and that's what, the other thing, you know, that, that inspired me from my nephew, you know, the, the ability to surprise me on, on how he overcome all these challenges and, and do things that I, I cannot expect him to do, you know? That's another inspiration for, for, for my nephew to the book. Yeah, I, I love that you brought up the cover. It is a it's a really great cover. Um, and I, I love that we get to see Enkidu with uh, the clean shaven, because when we first get a glance at him, mm -hmm. some of the early images, he's a bit rougher. He's got the beard. Um, and, and seeing him here on this cover is, is sort of, you know, this fresh faced young man going through life. I'm going to be honest with you, too. I, I was connected when I heard about this story because I have a second cousin. My cousin's son, his oldest, David, uh, is autistic. Oh. And that was a, a really eye-opening experience for me each time that I would meet with him and sort of engage with him on a level that he felt comfortable with and understanding what that comfort level was when he wanted to engage with me. Uh, Whatever expectations I brought would always create a challenge. But if I just watched what he wanted to do and found ways to engage with him, we could make a connection. And I was always really amazed with how he saw the world. So I was very intrigued, as you were describing, um, some of the things that you noticed about your nephew that, that intrigued me. And it's, it's interesting because it's, it's that focus you were talking about, that, that now we have experts who can look back through history and see other people who weren't defined as having autism, but can now be seen to share those attributes or uh, perhaps be great examples. And it's that focus, that awareness, that ability to see the world in a specific way. And the description you had about your nephew, about his ability to keep his balance and to sort of show this resilience, and then also to master these skills, it reminds me again about there's there's a way we all learn to interpret ourselves and in the world. And what I, I love about this idea that you're talking about with uh, the character of Enkidu and the examples you've seen from your nephew is that 
it's about our ability now to gain that understanding, to recognize how he's interpreting the world. And then through that, how this story helps us sort of understand what he's navigating, not only as we see it from the outside, but also as we can try and see it through his eyes. Um, that's got to be a remarkable accomplishment to sort of look back on and and recognize uh, not only while you're in the process of, com- you know, completing this book, but once you're done, is there any other sort of like, and that was my take, but is there any sort of feeling that you have going into this or that you know you want to have when it's done that's going to tell you you did it the, the right way when you were telling this story? Um, you know, you were when you were working on the trailer, you wanted to engage people, to get them with something that was interesting. And you've shown that you can do that with storytelling in your novel Sykes. When you're working on this project, is there a feeling that's always pushing you that it is kind of helping you define how this is going to look and sound when it's all complete? Is there, is it your nephew? Is there um, the the history of Gilgamesh and the part that Enkidu plays? The fact that it sounds like he's a kind of personal character for you because of how much you enjoyed what he meant to the story? Uh, so to, to come back around to a very long question, you know, is there a vision that you have with this book, one that you have while you're working on it and one that you want to see when you finished it? it? And if there is a vision, can you define it or describe it in any way for us? Well, um, um, Did it mean to make it a hard question? You, <laughs> uh, it's, it's, it's a hard question, but it's honestly any, any answer can, can fit. <laughs> It's one of those general questions, but yeah, uh, actually, yeah. I mean, anyhow, um, I mean, what, um, what I can say is, uh, like I mentioned, I have a big vision for the comic to make it a universe and not just a single series. Uh, but there's a saying by by Leonardo da Vinci. You know, he says that art is never never finished, merely abandoned. You know. <laughs> And yes. it's true because yeah, it's that's true. You know, no matter how how hard you work on something, even my book, I I, I mentioned that I like the rewrite. I'm pretty sure if I read it again, I'm gonna add or or, or or change some things in it. You know, every time I read it, I can change it. It it's, it's can it can never end. And and the only way I can abandon it is when I feel uh, confident about it. You know, I think you know it, it can take care of itself. You know, so same thing with my my. Comic, you know, I have a vision. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to tell a story, an engaging story, um, and try to, you know, make it relatable. Uh, and I try to to also place uh, interesting characters with interesting traits and uh, some intriguing history, you know, behind it. And I hope just the, the reader will, will, you know, will be able to pick on that and and you know and eventually. Wants wants more, wants to see more of that, and wants to learn more. And and honestly, I wish that after they finish the comic, they'll just put it aside, and just read what's what's the story behind that. Like, what is Mesopotamia? They're gonna think like that. I want to know more about Mesopotamia. I want to know more about Gilgamesh. I want to know more about you know uh, Morrigan. I want to know more about uh, uh, Papahata. You know, like that. So I just I want people to be more curious to learn more and, and and i want them you know to see something different uh, from my culture instead of the you know the thing that you see on tv you know the negative things that everyone show i want i want something people to see something positive positive 
from our culture, from our, our history, from our country, you know? So that's my vision, to change people's view about us, I guess. Yeah, well, you know, this is one of those things, uh, I'm a big sucker for storytelling. That's why I named my co- podcast Storytelling with Seth. I'm, I love these mm-hmm. threats. I love writing them. I love reading them. I love seeing them and identifying them. And we started this conversation with How You Met Your Wife, which was her singing a song that was a beautiful reflection of your country. And it was opposite to what you were seeing or were used to people seeing on the news or on television. And now you're doing that exact same thing with your project. You want to show them exactly what your wife was able to do when you met her. Bring something beautiful that was unexpected, un known to the larger numbers and make it something that becomes identifiable with Iraq, with Mesopotamia, with the history of Gilgamesh and make it a positive light. And I'm amazed that that's something that you experienced, the impact it had on you. And now how you're doing the same thing with this story, the epics of Enkidu. And because of that, when it's all said and done, if you've done it the way you want to, that's what you'll have accomplished. You'll have created this work that, like the song your wife was singing, people are going to see it and go, wow, that's really beautiful. Where's that from? How come I never hear things like that from there? How come when I put on the news, these aren't, or when I turn on television, I'm not seeing stories like this? Where can I get more stories like this? Because I'm going to be honest with you, man. I'm going to pick up Gilgamesh now. I'm going to go back and read that story. <laughs> There's a part of me that wants to understand what I didn't pick up before. Then I'm going to want to go back and, and reread Beowulf because that's what I was told to compare it against. And then I'm going to want to read about all the characters exactly. in Gilgamesh and say, hey, which ones, you know, which ones are I'm going to pull out into the next version? It, tell me more about this character, Morgan. Let me see her come to life in her next story. And lastly, what a universe to explore. Um, Mark Millar is a very famous comic book artist who's created something they call the Millarverse because he has created a, a universe in which all of his characters are connected. DC and Marvel have their own comic universes. Uh, there's quite a few writers who build universes around their characters. And I love the idea that as you're working on this project, you're already seeing a universe that you're creating. And if you've got that same vision that you have in the epics of Enkidu, there's a chance that each one of these will have that ability to show this really bright, brilliant part of the world that no one ever sees. Because when it's on cameras, when they think about their own uh, relationship to it, it's not something they've ever been shown. But because of this universe, starting with the epics of Enkidu, they're going to have a chance to see that. And man, that's really inspirational. That's really a, a powerful message. And uh, I, I really love that that's the goal you have for when you finish this one and as you work on each new book. Um, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. I think that's, <laughs> I think that's something not every writer considers, but maybe when they think about it as they're writing again, they'll find that that's something they're willing to consider now. That's that's really huge. Um, <laughs> you know, I bet my favorite thing about an interview, too, is figuring out what I didn't do. And this comes down to my favorite question where I get a chance to say, OK, I might have done OK asking some questions and learning a lot. But is there something I missed? Is there something that you would like to make sure 
you get a chance to say or include or that you wish other people would ask you about in interviews. And now's your chance to sort of say, hey, this isn't something that comes up, but it's something I, I would like people to know or I would like to share. Is there any feeling like that, whether from our conversation or from conversations you've had in the past where you've thought, you know, I would love the opportunity to tell people something about this because it's not something I get asked a lot. Uh, I don't know. It's uh, well, it kind of caught, caught me off guard with this question. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I uh, know what, that everyone what, has what, a story they want to tell. What, what should I? So, so many things, and at the same time, <laughs> I, I'm thinking of something that's gonna be interesting to them. But <laughs> well, honestly, you know, uh, you know, personal things. I don't think I have anything I can I can add. You know. Um, I mean, I can, you know, I can mention just one thing I don't think I mentioned before uh, about my comic right now. Sure. Um, I did mention that I, I want to use this comic to raise uh, acceptance and aware, awareness about autism through an engaging story. But I also uh, failed to mention that in the comic books, uh, I actually was in contact with different uh, autistic uh, autism uh, organi charity organizations from different countries. And uh, I told them about the story, and I told them I want to add information about them, about their charity in my comic. And, and that's what I want to say, that, that one of the things I'd like people to know, that there are information about this uh, comic, so about these charities for people to reach out to. So, I mean, I hope people can, you know, help us, you know, support the comic so we can spread this comic, um, you know, as far as we can, so people can reach out to those organizations, hopefully. And, uh, yeah. Well, this is uh, one of the things I wanted to mention about the comic, I guess, that, that wasn't mentioned before. Um, yeah, that's, that's one of the things. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's really perfect. I, I didn't, in my um, lack of awareness, I didn't even think to ask about organizations that are uh, interested in being involved. And now it sounds like they're going to provide you with information you can include so that anyone reading this can find one of those organizations that they feel comfortable reaching out to and either learn or do more about autism. Yeah, exactly. Hopefully, um, you know, this book will land on the uh, hands of uh, an autistic person and think, yeah, maybe I can be a hero too. Maybe I can accomplish something. Yeah, I mean, you know, clearly through this story, we have the opportunity to see what's possible, what's capable. And by comparison, you've had the opportunity to see just what's possible and capable when it comes to your nephew and the wonderful examples, lessons he's been able to share with you. So thanks for including the fact that for anyone picking up this book, it's not only a great story, but it also has a lot of great resources. So afterwards, if you find that you want to learn more and expand your knowledge base, these are places that you can contact and they can give you more information, more insight and a greater understanding, which uh, I'm sure that's got to be a huge benefit for anybody who's reading a book. I mean, if you can walk away with understanding after reading a book, you've really read a good book. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, thank you for including that. I wish I would have thought to ask a question about that, but I, I love that, you know, I didn't, and it was something that you were able to include so we can make sure people know about it. I think the last thing I really want to touch on here, Ahmed, is the fact that 
someone listening might right now might want to know how they can reach you. One, to get a copy of the book. Two, to see if they can participate uh, in your Indiegogo still. You've already met your goal, but maybe they still feel like they have something to contribute. Uh, maybe they want to know how they can get a hold of the book. Maybe they want to send you a message. So starting with uh, how they can uh, help with the Indiegogo or secure their copy of a book. What are the ways people can do that? Well, you can visit on Indiegogo. You can just type in the epics of uh, Inkidu, and you cannot miss it. It's very easy to find. Um, if you want, you can contribute. You can choose one of the perks. You can pick up uh, a copy, a digital copy, a, a, a paperback with a digital copy. You can. There are perks with a with a very cool T-shirt. There are perks with a with a poster. If you have a lot of friends, you can pick the. Uh, the perks that's into you know bookstores like five copies with a poster or ten copies with a poster all, all these are still running around uh, so eventually you can you can I mean what I want to say is you still can support the comic at the same time you get something from it you know um, and uh, if you'd like to reach out to me with uh, with a with a message or you know you want to support us you know I mean if you don't want if you if you don't if you can't you know uh, Buy a perk or you know support the comic on Indiegogo. At least you can share it. You know it could have a, some kind of a butterfly effect. You know that that could you know reach to the right person or whatever and be very helpful for us. Uh, you can you can reach out to me through Twitter if you want. Uh, it's Hero Autistic with, without any underscore or anything. And you can reach out to me also on Instagram if you're an Instagram person. Uh, it's Hero underscore Autistic. Uh, you can try to join my Facebook group, uh, The Epics of Inkidu. Um, I guess uh, those are the main three social me- social medias that social platforms that I like to use. So you can reach out to me with any question, anything, and I'll be more than happy to listen to you. Awesome. And I don't know if you heard that chime ding through as well. Uh, apparently that mute function wasn't going through for me, but... <laughs> I love the fact that it, it dinged and I'm like, well, that's a way to let people know that they can use those channels. And uh, it sounds like they've got a couple of different ways that they can reach out, let you know their thoughts, um, ask you questions, sort of find out more about the project as it's progressing. And then, of course, they can still participate when it comes to the Indiegogo fund. They can still put something in and get something out. And there's perks all along the pay scale, all along the price range, whatever fits best for them. And if nothing else, it's just a great way they can track when the book is coming out so they can get a copy however that they can financially. Um, You've also got some great ways that they can contact you directly. Ahmed, let me just say, I want to give a shout out to someone we both know, which is Mr. Tony Farina. I've been a fan Mm -hmm. of his indie comics uh, podcast and i was lucky enough to be a guest on there and after i did i I thought to myself this guy's reading great stuff i want to keep an eye on what he's doing so when i saw him share about your book and learn more about its story and then thought to myself wow this is something that that really pulls at me i i was immediately moved to reach out and contact you and you were so gracious to set this up so quickly, but it wouldn't have been possible uh, for me to know more about you if I hadn't heard about you from his podcast. So 
I'm just going to take a moment to say out loud on this recording, you know, thank you, Tony. You're a great guy. You find great things and clearly great people. Um, and uh, <laughs> if it wasn't for him, I, I it might have taken me a lot longer to know about your book, to make contact with you or to find out that I could be a part of this project, too. So um, I was really glad that you got to do that interview. It brought you to my attention. And man, I just want to thank you for coming on today. I was really really looking forward to what we could talk about. And after this has come to a close, I'm really thankful for all the things you were able to tell me about your book, your experiences, what we can look forward to in the future. And man, the stories behind all of it. So Ahmed, just from me, man, thank you. Thank you for being on today. Thank you for sharing the story of the epics of Ekidu and the story of your nephew and the story of you, your wife, your journey, I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. So it's really a pleasure. And also thanks, Tony, for, you know, you know, setting this in a way, you know, like a butterfly effect, you know, his interview just led into you, which, which is really fun. I had fun today. <laughs> Thank you. So did I. And let's keep the butterfly effect going. If you're out there listening. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Ding. Yeah. If you're out there listening. <laughs> And you know that you want to know more. Share the word. If this is a story you want to talk about and share with others, tell them. Let them know what you heard today. Reach out to me. Ask me questions. Uh, Ahmed has provided all the ways you can reach him. And let's see if we can't continue this butterfly effect. Let's see if we can't see how much we can be a part of the continued expansion exposure of the epics of Enkidu. Ahmed, I'm going to go ahead and bring today to a close. Thank you again for a great conversation. Thank you to everyone listening. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this and gained as much from it as I did today. Thank you, Ahmed. Thank you. And that brings episode number 73 and my conversation with Ahmed Alamin to a close. Now, you might still hear the snoring of my French bulldog, Bruno, in the background. But despite his disinterest, I really enjoyed the conversation and so much of the great topics we had the opportunity to cover. If you feel the same way and would like to reach out to Ahmed, you have all of those links he included there just a few moments ago. And you can also find them in the liner notes of this episode. If you have a message for me, either about this episode or any episode here on Storytelling with Seth, please feel free to reach out to me. You can do so on Twitter, One More Singleton, on Instagram as Seth the Writer, and on my website, Seth Singleton Storyteller, which coincidentally is the name of my Facebook page. If you think you have a story that should be on Storytelling with Seth, that you want to share with others, please use one of those platforms or another platform where you are able to catch this content and leave me a message. Let me know how I can share your story with everyone else. Until next time, thanks for joining, and I look forward to sharing my next story with you.